0: Hello, I'm Oliver Wang.
1: And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks.
0: This is a special episode. No guest, not even an album. Today we're tackling a song, but not just any song. That's right. We are taking on, for this July 4th week, the national anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. And this was actually, Morgan, your brainchild. Why did you want to get into the anthem?
1: You know, a few reasons. One, because the new uh, Whitney Houston documentary made its premiere at Cannes. And uh, that was in one of the teaser clips about The Star-Spangled Banner. And I remember... Um, Diane Sawyer asking her what was her favorite performance and she said mm. Super Bowl Star Spangled Banner. Wow. And uh, so thinking about that and also thinking about Kaepernick he, he's he been on my mind of late um, obviously his his protest for those of you that know and so I just wanted to uh, visit the various versions of the Star Spangled Banner.
0: As far as song craft goes do you even like the anthem?
1: You know that's a great question. Uh I didn't think I liked it until Whitney Houston sang it, because then it became this supreme show of vocal prowess that made it something different. Mm. It made it a moment instead of just a song. And after she performed it, I thought, maybe the Star Spangled Banner is dope. (laughs) (laughs) And then Colin came along and I was like, maybe it's not only because of, 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 as you well know, what he's protesting, that listening to, to some of the lyrics, you know, it, it started to mean something different. But again, as I was saying, with, with Whitney Houston, it's just, you, you. I don't think anyone can top that, uh, that rendition. And right. so it will always be uh, seared in my memory as the Whitney Houston moment.
0: Right, and we, of course, certainly will come back to that in a moment. I was thinking about this, that, and I could be wrong about this, but the national anthem, right, the Star-Spangled Banner must be the song that we, especially in the U.S., hear the most often. That is the oldest song that we hear at the most often, and in the most different forms. In other words, I mean, there's other songs that have a lot of covers, but no song has as many renditions that we're likely to hear over the course of our lifetime than the national anthem. I think it at a certain, a certain point becomes... Not so much background, but we're just so used to it that we take it for granted. I don't think it's a particularly good song as far as songs go. And obviously this was written a very long time ago. It dates back to 1814, Francis Scott Key. He was not uh, riffing on contemporary pop music you know, songwriting formats with it. I think it is a notorious song for being very difficult to sing. And I think it helps for people who are unaware of this to know that it is based off of the melody of the song is based off of an old 18th century British drinking song. So this is a song that was meant to be sung drunk, which perhaps explains why the notes would not be ideal if you were actually trying to make a (laughs) song that people can can sing properly. And so if, if people have never ever heard the OG version of this, the Star Spangled Banner is melodically based off of... A British high society drinking song called the, and I might be pronouncing this uh, incorrectly, it's the Anacreonic song. Anacreon
2: in hand, where he sat in full glee, a few sons of harmony, sent a Petition, that he their inspirer and patron would be when his answer arrived.
1: I can see somebody being faded and breaking it, breaking out in that. So yeah, it makes sense to me that that was supposed to be a a drinking song of the high society types. Right.
0: That's, that's some gentry heat rocks from the 18th century right there.
1: But I like the point that you made about the key. And, uh, I always worry when someone starts singing it, wherever they start, if they start too high, I'm like, you're going to get hung. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because once you're up there, it is if you don't start in your low register, or whatever note that is that means low register, y- you have a long way to go in a short time to get there, and no pressure. There's just thousands of people <laughs> um, looking at you. But I've seen that go go badly, not because of the person's you know vocals, but because they started too too right, high. Right, you got to
0: strategize that. That's one. it. Yeah, you, that's it. It's a chess game. That's just this what properly. it is. We had just recently talked about Minnie Ripperton and I doubt that she did a version. I think maybe had she lived longer, she probably, may, may, might have gotten called up at some point. Sure. She could have handled that. She could have started wherever, and Minnie could have handled it. But Absolutely. unless you've got Minnie's range, you need, to, you need to think carefully about how you choose to start. Oh, oh yeah.
1: She's got that whistle register, no, and everyone doesn't have it. She's got it. Mariah Carey has it. Shantae Moore has it. So I, I don't imagine them getting caught out there
0: all right truth or dare here um have you sung the song have you tried to sing it
1: that's a good question (laughs) that's a really good question i hum along you know Ah. but no (laughs) that's it that's it. But it has become a thing because I'm a sports fan just like you are. And right. it has become a thing when there are playoffs and championships in the Super Bowl. We're always asking each other, yeah, who do who you think? Right, yeah. Right. And that's another thing. Another a point that we should bring up is that you don't get to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl unless you've got Grammys. Yeah. Because that's part of your introduction. You can't just be some, like, you know, I think Lady Gaga. Performed it once?
0: Yeah, I think uh, not this year's Super Bowl, but the year prior, if I recall.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you you have to have cred. You can't just have had like a hot single.
0: Well, it's funny because it has become a capstone. For a musician's and specifically a singer's status to get invited to do it, sure. because especially something like the Super Bowl, I mean that's that's the platform. But you know, you got World Series games, that's pretty high profile. NBA Finals, the All Star Game, which we'll be talking about uh, a little bit later, and it's kind of a sign that oh, you've made it if you're getting invited to do it. And it's funny because I'm sure you could also look to well. You don't get the Super Bowl, you got one of the playoff series, but in the early rounds it means you still got a little while to go.
1: <laughs> you got to you got to step up your vocals. <laughs> but it but also uh you know, it also says not just that you've made it, but also we think you might be able to handle this range. If you think about who's done it at the Super Bowl in terms of female vocalists, you do have Whitney Houston, we'll talk about that later. You also have Jennifer Hudson. You also have Beyoncé. We mentioned Mariah Carey. So I think it also says, despite the, you know, the precarious key shifts, we think you can cover this. And that's why I don't think they just let anyone do it. And the people that have done it and gotten hung shouldn't have done it in the first place.
0: You don't think they give it to whoever is high profile enough to deserve it, regardless of their actual singing ability? Like Mary J. Blige has definitely sung the national anthem at some point and not I the love super Mary. Right. not the super bowl right you could argue maybe she was never big enough to sort of get the gig sure but i don't know i, I mean you really think there's a there's a committee of people sitting around determining like who we're going to get this year and they're they're going through youtube videos or spotify to figure out like can they do they have like a four octave range like i don't i don't feel, i feel like that's not happening i feel sure. like they're going Who's the biggest name that Who, we can get that hasn't the already person. done it? yeah. Right.
1: But maybe for, maybe for some of those other games. But for the Super Bowl, I think it is about the Grammys, and I think it is about proven range. Right. And, I think, and I think if you're not in that range, I think that's when you, you arrange, you
0: rearrange it to,
1: to, you bring the anthem to you instead of you going to the anthem.
0: So let's get into the versions here. Sure. Why don't we just begin with Whitney, because we've been talking about it. And for me, if we're talking about, and you might disagree with this, classic renditions of it. In other words, you're not taking it too far left. You know, the, the platonic ideal. I think Whitney is what comes to the mind for a lot of folks.
2: It's
1: just so stellar from start to finish.
0: 1991. Doesn't feel like it was that long ago.
1: It doesn't. You no? Know, it but. doesn't until you watch the video. And then you're like, I see some mullets out there. <laughs> I see shoulder pads. This is back in the days.
0: So 1991, it's the Super Bowl, as we've been mentioning. This was the one held in Tampa, Florida. And the context here is really crucial, is that this happened to coincide with the first two weeks of Gulf War Part One. And that's, I think, partly what propelled its status, its stature within the American imagination was because of this, you know, the country is at war. You know, it was released as a single partly because of, of listener demand uh, by Arista 91. And then uh, they put it out again after nine eleven in 2001. So it's become an anthem that represents something that's much more than just the performance itself at the Super Bowl. We've been talking about this a little bit already, but what is it about what Whitney does here that for you is so indelible?
1: In a word, control.
0: Mm. Um, Shout out Janet Jackson.
1: That's right. That's right. I think control is the first thing that comes to mind Mm -hmm. because of the aforementioned precarious key changes. Mm -hmm. And not only do you have to get yourself through that song, um, saving your breath for the high notes, but what she does is she builds up she doesn't go too hard at the beginning. She starts off soft. I can hear the gospel side of Whitney mm. when she gets to the end. Mm. Um, and it's elegant. I've heard the national anthem as a song in a movie. I think Robert Downey Jr. did it in a film with B.B. King. Mm. He wasn't Whitney. Um, <laughs>
0: Wait, B.B. wasn't a Robert Downey Jr. Robert a- Downey Jr.
1: B.B. was just, you know. Right, doing his B.B. thing. yeah. I think control is the first thing. I think when you look at the video and you look her, look at her face. Um, Whitney sang this in a sweatsuit. Um, singing the national anthem has changed. People come out g'd up. Um, in layman's terms, that means really dressed up for our non-black listeners. <laughs> um,
0: Whitney she, had the velour on, though.
1: Yeah, she did. She did. She had the sweat. She had the sweat band on, which to me, uh, signified, you know we we are all one people i'm i'm not this you know mega star i'm here to you know be one of you be one of you so that's the thing that stands out to me the most control mm. and it's just a moment that i i think in when i look back on it i think gosh how do you follow that performance
0: it's funny uh, Morgan, you're talking about, you know, how could Whitney follow this up? And she followed it up with the biggest ballad hit of her career, right. which was just a year later with um, I Will Always Love You off the Bodyguard soundtrack. Which so, is the
1: which is the best-selling soundtrack of all time.
0: Yeah, and largely because that song, I mean, this is like the imperial Whitney phase. Sure, really. yeah. sure, it is. What strikes me about both songs and what rem- what they bring out and remind me about what made Whitney so great is that she had just one of the best pure, perfect, natural voices in just music history. And you only, you I mean, there are people who learn to sing well and are amazing singers, but if you just, people that you feel like were just born with that gift, you got Ella Fitzgerald, you got Aretha Franklin, and you got Whitney. I'm not sure there's anyone else who's like elbowing their way into that Holy Trinity. I mean, no shots at bay, like she's trying, like no, like it's not, it's not there. And, on both of these songs, especially the anthem, for all the reasons that we've been talking about in terms of the technical difficulty, is just the clarity. So you think of control. I I hear clarity in that in terms of everything is perfect. There's nothing completely flawless. There's nothing off about it. And this is a song which will, anything flaw in your voice, it will expose and just leave you out there.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you on the clarity. But I think clarity and control work together because what she she has to manage is not just her own breath and those keys, but her instincts. And part of those instincts come from growing up in the church. Mm -hmm. When I hear Whitney Houston sing, I hear Sissy Houston. She is, you know, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. But the difference between Sissy and Whitney, I think, is that polish. right? Because you hear it was hard for even in the background vocals uh, sissy's career as a background vo- vocalist for elvis presley you there's gospel everywhere she goes and there's just a little hint of gospel in this rendition but it's overshadowed by that polish by that orchestral arrangement yeah. by the by the time that she takes to bring when she um gets to um, or the ramparts we washed it's just so pure
2: mm-hmm. oh, the ra-
1: Sweet We're so we'll and I think those two things met at the time. Um, if you look at the video, Whitney's sweating. So it's not like she's up there. She's singing hard. Yeah, But she makes it look easy. You can't practice singing along with Whitney Houston. There's a point where you're going to be like, you know what? I'm actually, I am going to let you finish uh, because I can't finish with you. And the Star Spangled Banner for me is just that moment. And it, it is also um, the hardest Whitney performance for me to watch since she's, since she's passed away. Oh, interesting.
0: If Whitney's version is the best of the classical renditions, do you have a favorite of the alternative renditions?
1: I would have to say Marvin Gaye because, <laughs> listen, man, you've heard the version. I don't think anyone was expecting for him to come out and do some all soulful, rock steady, smoothed out, buttery vocal rendition. But then again, why not? It's Marvin. It's Marvin. And you
2: see?
0: 1983 NBA All-Star Game held right here in L.A. at the fabulous Forum Inglewood.
1: That's right. Always up to no good.
0: And I mean, no disrespect to Whitney, this is my favorite version. Okay. Partly because I just like that he takes it in a completely different direction. And the thing I've always wanted to know about this, and maybe I should have looked this up, is did he go in there and partly improv? You almost feel like as he's singing it, he's deliberately taking these kind of left turns on the arrangement. But he he would have had to have some of this sorted out because he's still in tune with it. But he definitely is not singing it in this sort of straightforward way. He's doing the Marvin Gaye. I mean, this is, what, 83? So this is post-sexual healing Marvin. I mean, this is the last year of his life Marvin Gaye. And I know we use this cliche term of making a song your own. And this, to me, is Marvin Gaye making the Star-Spangled Banner you know, indelibly his version of it. right? And you'd be foolish to even try to step and do what he just did.
1: You can't do that. It, the star, This is the Star Spangled Banner, the sexual healing remix. It is, I mean, it makes you want to body roll. I mean, I wanted to body roll, but I was watching it with my mother and <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm not willing to die for Marvin Gaye. But it just has a, a very seductive quality. But yeah. to your point... It doesn't seem like he stays on the beat. Right. There's times where he's going a little bit faster than yeah. the track and I think there's a track playing. I don't think I don't think someone was playing the keys. You know, I think it's, that's it's a track. Free, yeah,
0: right. With a drum machine. Drum machine. Just being eighty three, yeah.
1: And sometimes he's behind the track, but he still seems like he's completely in control. This one is poignant and precious because of some of the things that we mentioned about Whitney. It is a moment, to your point, uh he was on his way out, he died in the next year. Yeah. And it's just marvin's got his shades on um it takes a while i think for the players to catch up i think people want to be stoic and really right. patriotic and at some point it's like you're going to just stand there because this is bumping <laughs> and so when you kind of see people get into it and where would it happen besides la would it happen in in boston
0: no right maybe dc maybe dc right but but yeah had to be the forum had to be had to be If folks haven't seen this, Nike did a really good job using this, including I think intercutting the original footage from the '83 All-Star Game, and then I think this was maybe about five years ago. You can just look it up online. Nike, Marvin Gaye, uh, Star-Spangled Banner, and they made, they made a sixty-second ad for for the NBA using this, and it was just another you know piece of evidence that Nike is their ad department's genius because oh, yeah. it works so well. Really. The ad features contemporary NBA players and again this was back when Kobe was still in the league so it had to have been at least five plus years ago maybe maybe around 2010 um, and it's just show it's just going back and forth between Marvin Gaye's performance, the video of, of that and then an Intercut with contemporary NBA stars and it's an incredibly black ad. In a way that's not necessarily, to me, super overt about it, even though anyone watching it is completely unambiguous, which is to say that we are a black league. Every player we have on there is black. We got Marvin Gaye singing, like, black on black on black on black. Right. Right. Um, Blackity black. It's blackity black. Right. Yeah, shout out to CB4. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But yeah, it's one of those – and it's simple. I mean, Nike – when they want to be minimalist, they do minimalism really well. And this is just one example where it's just 60 seconds of listening to Marvin Gaye sing the Star-Spangled Banner with a bunch of contemporary NBA stars, you know, warming up, getting ready for the game to go. And uh, it's just, it's so striking. And again, it, the, the work, the real work that's being done in that ad, 100% is Marvin. I mean, it's just, it's so timeless and it's so evocative and so signature, because as we've been saying, no one else could have pulled it off. I think in the same way. I mean, maybe Curtis could have. I'm not saying that he's oh, the sure. only person. Sure. Um, I'm assuming there's probably a James Brown version of the anthem out there. I don't know if I actually want to hear it, but uh, you know, other people could have done it. But you know, Marvin Marvin had this one unlocked. On we'll be back with more of our conversation about the Star Spangled Banner after this brief word from some other fantastic Max Fun podcast. Keep it locked. Hey, Helen Hong. Yes, Jake Keith Van Stratton? What's the difference between a layover and a stopover? I have no idea.
1: What's the difference between Optimal and Optimum?
0: I have no idea. Well, what's the difference between an actual conversation and a promo for our new show on Maximum Fun? Go fact yourself.
1: Nobody has any idea.
0: Go Fact Yourself, the game show with celebrity contestants, super smart experts, and answers to questions you've never even asked.
1: Listen twice a month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And be in the audience for our tapings of Go Fact Yourself in downtown L.A. It's free. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for more info.
0: We're having a very realistic conversation.
1: Yes, we are.
0: The Greatest Generation is the most popular Star Trek podcast in the world. A pretty dubious distinction, but it's true. We've blasted through all of Star Trek The Next Generation, and now we are blasting through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Come find out why millions of people have listened to our show and the Star Trek industrial complex ignores it.
1: Go to maximumfund.org or wherever you get your podcasts and look for The
0: Greatest Generation.
1: We're back on Heat Rocks talking the Star Spangled Banner.
0: Of the various alternative renditions, the one that I didn't know about and I guess was considered to be one of the first major departures from how the anthem was sung came back in 1968. And this is uh, Jose Feliciano, the guitarist, uh, singing at Game Six of the World Series, Tiger Stadium in Detroit. And this was considered incredibly controversial at the time. I think partly because no one had heard it sung in a alternative version. Though by today's standards, this seems really mild.
2: So we the
0: this pissed people off back it did. in '68, and. Obviously, part of it is also context, right? We're talking high to Vietnam, Vietnam War, and protest, and so they. I think people read the alternativeness of this as some kind of protest against America or protest against patriotism. By today's standards, it's like okay, they just took it in a different direction, but it seems pretty milk toast all, all said.
1: And and since then, lots of people have done acoustic versions of the Star Spangled Banner. Right. I don't know why that wasn't an, an issue then, unless at the time. You always performed it acapella. I don't know if baseball's somehow different. It may be different, but I know that it was an issue, yeah. and I think there were boos uh, when he finished. I
0: didn't hear, you know, I didn't hear the boos at the end of this performance, but I know it, he caught flack for it in the weeks to follow.
1: If you look at the video, you'll hear the boos. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. okay.
1: They sort of build like, "Where is he going?" Mm-hmm. And then, so shout out to Jose for just getting through the song and being like, <laughs> "I'm just going to keep going anyway. We're already out here." But I wonder how much that has to do with if they had an issue with him singing the anthem in the first place. Mm. And then, uh, to add insult to injury, he he bought a guitar and and made it his own.
0: Right. Well, if if we're going to talk about the anthem and we're going to talk about guitar, you know what what comes next then.
1: I know just what's coming next. Jimi Hendrix, Baby, 1969, Woodstock.
0: One thing just to say off the bat, is it crazy to realize that it's going to be the 50th anniversary of Woodstock next year? That's crazy. Because I've been listening to baby boomers talk about this shit for my entire (laughs) lifetime. I mean, seriously? Uh, No, but uh, in all seriousness, though, I mean, iconic. Up there, certainly with, I think, Marvin, up there with Whitney in terms of distinctive, memorable, unforgettable, as you were saying, you know, controversial Jimmy has been on record saying that it wasn't his attempt at protesting. He just wanted – he was a patriotic dude. He just wanted to put his own Hendrixian spin on it, which it absolutely has because right. it is so much his sound.
1: It is. And what he – maybe he didn't want to want to be controversial, but in his playing, he makes the sounds of war. It It, it makes it sound like – he's saying something about the war that it's crazy Mm. and he's not singing this is the one version that we're talking about where there are no vocals right right right. so all the feeling all the emotion is in his playing and he didn't play it straight ahead like jose he added some so he was making a statement one of the things that i always remember about that because the i saw the documentary Mm. was the intensity that he played he barely looked at the crowd he said a lot in this rendition. I mean, there's a lot. It sounds like when he gets to the bombs bursting in air that's what it sounds like. Right, right. And to your point, this is iconic. Like he I mean, it's just a moment in time.
0: You know, folks uh, should go back and listen to our episode with Vernon Reed talking about Hendrix's band of gypsies, because one of the things that Vernon Reed points out is that Hendrix had served, yeah. a lot of the people in his band had served, and this this anthem is really not the first time that he has tried to sonically communicate and capture the sounds of warfare, the sounds of gunfire and death and terror within his music. I mean, this is, I don't think we get terror necessarily in his rendition of it, but To your point, Morgan, that there's something about this which is sonically speaking to sort of the sounds of war coming from a veteran, probably not a coincidence. Whether it's a protest or not, but it is him channeling some level of that energy and that perspective.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly. My dad is a veteran. This is my dad's favorite version. He said Mm. my dad is a huge Hendrix fan. Mm. And uh, a lot of it was that he got to see him perform um, live in Memphis, Tennessee, got to see him perform with the Isley Brothers Um, But he always cites this as the thing that made him a super fan.
0: Does the anthem make you feel patriotic at all?
1: It makes me feel conflicted. Hmm. It brings up a lot of emotions. um, And that's why despite these versions that we've heard in times that I've heard it performed as a gospel mm. you know in gospel renditions I've been like well how am I supposed to feel is this supposed to be spiritual mm. and it's it's performed with such vigor as is, was in the case of the Mississippi Mass Choir halfway through you're like well it, listen is somebody going to get saved is there an altar call because they made it into a hymn almost Did it end the conflict for me? No, but it put it in a different, you know, these are black folks mm-hmm. in the blackest of situation in almost a, a Baptist apostolic setting and they're singing it with vigor. And that sort of, in the, those times when I've heard it perform like that, it changes for, for me, but it doesn't make me feel patriotic. It makes me feel conflicted.
0: I think one reason why it also doesn't really work well is that, and this is, I think, just a generally historically true point, which is that, most of the best pop songs are songs that come out of a working-class background. I mean, every major important American music genre, I mean, pop genre, rock and roll, hip-hop, R&B, funk, et cetera, these, these represent sort of working-class people, right, and and what gives them pleasure. This song, the Star-Spangled Banner, arts we've been talking about, is based off of this British high society song. It's not meant to be something that... You know, people in the trenches are singing, and I think that if Francis Scott Key had decided to uh, take his his words and put them onto more of a British folk song, I think it actually could be very catchy because a lot of the you know early big minstrel hit songs of the of the 18th century, a lot of those trace their roots back sure. to British, Irish, Scottish folk songs because those are catchy tunes, sure. but. Something, you know, once you got like the upper middle class involved in songwriting, at least in this age, you're not going to you're not minting hits. This is this is not uh, this is not the brill building uh, right. goodness right a- here.
1: And they're drinking. <laughs> no, bueno.
0: And I don't think it's a song that you could you can't claim it. You can't you could only sing it subversively, I suppose. And which I guess is to what, some extent what people assume Hendrix was doing or yeah. maybe Jose Feliciano or any time someone decides to really deviate from the script on it the idea is that they're somehow undermining its power and trying to undo the kind of jingoistic impulse that the anthem communicates on some level. I don't know if I've ever really bought into that only because I don't know how you would sing the song unless you're deliberately going out of your way to completely butcher it. Maybe that's, again, that's the kind of Roseanne Barr thing from the 90s. But but other than that, if you sing it well in terms of as a song, right, sonically, vocally, all those things... I don't think there's a way to subvert it because it symbol the, the weight of its symbolism is just too much. But I would love to hear someone try to sort of sing it well and yet somehow subvert it at the same time. We've covered some of the big, super iconic versions, versions that you know I think a lot of our listening audience have, have probably heard at some point or other. Um, we also kind of dug through the crates to find a, a few other ones that maybe you haven't heard before. You had just mentioned one by the Mississippi Mass Choir. How did you come upon this, and what about it is interesting to you beyond what you've already just said about it?
1: I'm a fan of the Mississippi Mass Choir. Um, They were big in the 80s, particularly the the late 80s.
2: Review
1: Club covered your ears and just saw the video and saw the way they were moving and the way that they're, you know, they're sort of the way they're expressing themselves, the way they're interpreting the song, you would think it's a straight-ahead gospel song. Mm-hmm. And that's how it sounds. I don't know if this was a project for for something else, but it is on their album, and... uh like I said, this was the first time I had I had heard it uh, in a gospel, and it 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 immediately gave me a feeling of reverence um, that I don't normally have. Yeah, I don't know if that has to do with my upbringing, um, but I was I immediately felt like oh this is a this is really spiritual.
0: Hmm. Any other versions out there that really have really stuck with you over the years?
1: You know, there's a there there's an episode of The Simpsons where they're at a ball game and. Bleeding gums is is the singer. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, to honor America, will you please rise for our national anthem? Sung tonight by Springfield Rhythm and Blues <laughs> sensation, Bleeding gums, Murphy. Oh, oh, oh,
2: oh, 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 oh say <sniffs> can you,
1: I'm asking, can The irony about that is the version is done by a legendary and iconic gospel singer named Daryl Coley, the late, great Daryl Coley. And anyone that knows anything about gospel, as soon as it starts out, everyone's like, that's Daryl Coley. The joke is that... Um, and you know, that wasn't lost on me is the way that black people sing. Mm. Um, because the joke is that they sing so long that you just see The Simpsons getting tired and withering <laughs> until the point where they just fall in their seats. But that's one of my favorite versions as well.
2: And the-
0: Okay, I got a new favorite version of this now.
1: We had, um, for those of you familiar with the show, we had B. Slade on. B. Slade has spoken um, about people that he admires vocally. and mm. um, One of the people that he didn't mention on the show, um, but mentions in a lot of interviews, is the late, great Daryl Coley. Mm. Daryl Coley wasn't was sort of the... Whitney Houston of Gospel. Okay. Um, he's, in a, he's in a vocal category uh, that few people embody, but B. Slade is one of them. Mm-hmm. In fact, he has a, a very well-known song called When Sunday Comes, and at his funeral, B. Slade was asked wow. to cover it. Okay. Um, you don't get asked to cover Derrick yeah. Coley.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if you find this video on YouTube, you'll see all the comments that are like, oh, my God, Daryl Coley, Daryl Coley. You just know that voice um, right away. So that's one of my favorites.
0: I did try to go looking to see if there was some kind of hip-hop version of this, which would be kind of difficult because you'd have to, what, I don't know, rap Francis Scott Key's lyrics. <laughs> but the version that always comes up if you search for hip-hop and Star-Spangled Banner is none other than from just this year – also in Los Angeles, albeit not at the Fabulous Forum, but the Staples Center, also at the NBA All-Star game, but the opposite of the Marvin Gaye, "It is Fergie. And let's just listen to this.
2: What's so proud <laughs> <lay-way> <laughs> At the twilight Whos right
0: Terrible? certainly it's definitely in the top three considered now worse renditions i mean there's you know the roseanne Barr certainly held that crown for a while there's a version of carl lewis the, the, the track star out there that's that's infamous but at least for the next i would say three to five years fergie's got the crown on this one I mean I don't I don't want to be mean because I don't think she was trying to sing it poorly. I just think that she made a decision. Maybe she watched that Marvin Gaye 83 version too much and she decided, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do it like Marvin did and just miss the target by a country mile. Um <laughs> there's so many there're layers of what bad choices, bad life choices that went into this.
1: The memes, I'm just so glad that she did it in the time of social media because <laughs> oh, the memes that were created oh. were golden.
0: When is your boy Drake going to take this one on? I mean, I know he's Canadian, so maybe he, he would sing Oh Canada instead and maybe he has done that. Maybe. I feel like- There's
1: got to be- there, I mean, you brought up the hip hop thing. There's got to be- I can't believe there isn't a version, but there has to be something.
0: Migos. Migos should just do this.
1: How you going? Are mumble, you going? Rap,
0: mumble rap <laughs> anthem. Put a good trap beat in the back of it. Kill it. You have a different kind of national anthem you wanted to skin into.
1: I do. And that's the black national anthem. Now, when you're talking about black people, there's three areas where it concerns the black national anthem. There's black people singing the national anthem, as we heard with Daryl Coley. Yes, A little bit gospel, a little bit extra. There is the official black national anthem, which is lift every voice and sing. There's the unofficial black national anthem, which is Frankie Beverly and May's Before I Let Go. The Lift Every Voice and Sing is precious because it's an alternative to the national anthem. It belongs to generations of freedom fighters and Mm -hmm. generations of black folks. It references the struggle. And I've heard it uh, performed many, many ways. I have two favorite versions, but out of those two, one is Leontine Price, and the other one is Kim Weston, who was a singer on Motown Mm -hmm. that had a It Takes Two with Marvin Gaye, and that's probably my favorite. Mm ¶¶
0: In the same way that we've talked about alternative versions of the Star-Spangled Banner and the idea that doing it poorly is disrespectful, who would likely do a really disrespectful version of the black national anthem? Like, Who would you not want to see within a million miles of trying to sing this?
1: Somebody that wasn't black.
0: I mean, but some people might get a pass. Like Tina Marie, maybe.
1: I don't know because of the subject matter you have to have some connection to that and I'm not saying I'm not saying that she doesn't certainly she's soulful and stuff but in this this situation, in terms of the in terms of this anthem, proximity to blackness is not blackness and I think you need to be up there black so
0: But again, the question here: Who would be like the worst choice? Maybe like a contemporary country bro doing a country version of it.
1: You know what? I might let Hootie make it <laughs> <laughs> if he could soul it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if it listen, Hootie, if you want to take this on, um, yeah. But I would love to see. I think I saw like an acapella version of this. For
2: from the places our God where we met
1: thee. I would love to see um, take six um, do this mm. I think that would be really really pretty um, there's so many changes um, shift changes so and yeah. key changes I would love to see an a cappella version of that but it is precious um
0: you're not trying to see like white girls going vir- viral on YouTube with like their version of it mm-mm. this this is America style
1: no don't do that Please don't do that. And um, and and I think that one is sung in a very solemn way because of what it references. It references the struggle, and uh, it is about slavery. It is about the fight for freedom. Mm-hmm. And it is there's no up tempo version of the Black National Anthem. That the same cannot be said of "Before I Let Go" Frankie Beverly and That is the unofficial Black National Anthem because you hear that at every Black function, and if you don't, <laughs> fire your DJ. <laughs>
2: We've had our good time That's the no. We've heard in the
0: Morgan, just to test your cultural competency here, are you aware of the national, the unofficial Asian American national anthem? No. Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order.
1: Really?
2: Every time I think of you, I feel shocked, right?
0: it's generational it's a gen x thing i don't know if like millennial asians identify with it what but like bizarre love triangle if you were a 70 or 80s baby that was the anthem that was the anthem
1: is it played a lot like i'm saying frankie beverly and mays do you hear it all the time
0: you get enough asians in a room and you drop it and you watch what happens watch what happens
1: I wasn't
0: knowing. There's wow. a whole thesis to be written about why though, because it's something where again, people of my generation, we all know it. We all know that yes, it's bizarre love triangle. Like you ask 99 out of 100 Asian Americans who grew up in that era, like that's the song they will mention, but none of them can explain why it's that song. And I've heard some really good theories from people over the years, but I feel like there there, there needs to be a definitive you know, qualitative study done on why is it Bizarre Love Triangle.
1: What's your theory, though? Why do you think it's that song?
0: I mean, my favorite explanations, I I don't know if I buy any of these uh, to to any extent, but the ones that I've heard that I like just because they are vaguely plausible is that because so many of us who were the the children of immigrants had to grow up with requisite piano lessons, we identify with synthesizer keyboard-heavy music and Mm -hmm. New Wave, of course, in the 80s was that. And that bizarre love triangle, and New order—it's about songs of of feeling marginalized and alienated, not like straight up on the outs. Like you're not you're not being oppressed, you're not being subjugated, but you just feel like you don't really belong. And a lot of that, a lot of new wave of that era had those kinds of themes. And so for Asian Americans, that kind of captures a certain level of our kind of racial dissonance, if you will. But it was just a song that you would hear at. At Asian parties and at clubs where a lot of Asian, especially here in Los Angeles, where a lot of Asians would roll out to, and I, I don't know why Bizarre Lamp Triangle. Like, why not you know an Erasure song? Why sure. not Blue Monday sure. within that? But sure. it's it's bizarre. It's, lo- it's Bizarre Love Triangle. Yeah.
1: Have you dropped it as a DJ? Oh yeah, really.
0: One of my favorite examples of this was at the ten-year anniversary party for Angry Asian Man Phil Yu, who uh, writes a very popular uh, blog. Which is all about Asian American news and events and politics and culture and whatnot, and so this was you know a crowd of several hundred people, and we were doing a lot of you know '90s hip hop and R and B, but then at one point we decided to slide back a little bit into '80s new wave, and there's no way you're not going to play because <laughs> our love triangle there, no. and the reaction that I got from it was about as good as I could possibly hope for, which is to say that everyone in the room was in on the joke and yet loves the joke. And but, you know, that's, Again, that's what makes it the anthem in that case. That's
1: the, it's the same thing with, with, uh, with Frankie, Beverly, and Mays. If you drop Before I Let Go, I let go. you'll have a stampede of black people mm. rushing to the dance floor. And it's a thing of beauty. It crosses generations um, and ages, and, and I love it.
0: We should sign off like we normally do here, and we'll take it back to the Star-Spangled Banner. If you had to describe the Star-Spangled Banner in three words, what would those three words be?
1: This is America. Shout out to uh, Donald Glover.
0: Mm, that's better than mine. I, I went with challenging, overwrought, and jingoistic.
1: It all works. We, I think we established that it's not really a great song. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought that up, because I never really thought about that. By itself, it's not really a great song. Were it not for these renditions, we wouldn't right. be like, you know, that's actually a good song. I think these renditions that we've talked about And I'm wondering if we missed anything, any renditions that were really cool, but I think we talked about the standouts.
0: You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, along with Shana Deloria and Christian Duenas. This episode was engineered by Shana and edited by Christian. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the star-spangled Westlake <laughs> neighborhood, of Los Angeles.
1: Yo, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, HeatRockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at HeatRocksPod. Com.
0: We want to thank our most recent five-star iTunes reviewer, Tragically Skip. I don't know why, you're, why it's tragic, Skip, but I hope things <laughs> get better for you. And thank you for your review. If you are one of our fans and have not had a chance to leave a review for us, it is a huge way in which new listeners can find their way to our podcast, so please consider just taking a minute out to do so.
1: We also want to thank our social media folks that have been giving us love on Twitter, including... Andre Dowdy, at Never a Doubt. That's cute. Mm. Also want to thank Stacey Molski for giving us a shout. Appreciate that. As always, Crispy Chicken. <laughs> thank you for shouting us <laughs> out. Want to shout out Frederick Smith, at FSmith827. I think I'm John B., which is... I don't have words for that, but shout out to <laughs> shout out to you, man. His his Twitter is at Bruce Is Dumb. And finally we want to give some love to Mary Burke and DJ Lene Denise mm. for giving us some love. We do so appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. Good to see you, Oliver.
0: Good to see you too, Morgan. One last thing, here's a teaser for next week's episode, which features the one and only Michelle Indecchio Cello talking about the majesty that is princes purple rain when i when i came to la i had a chance to be on his label or warner brothers mm. having your
2: idol listen to your music
1: or to have you know
2: people compare you there is no comparison i'm like the, <laughs> the polish on his shoe like there's no comparison but to have that happen to you it's life-changing it's the thing you want from your parents so to speak or that you didn't have and and
1: it's it just like i said Life-changing.
2: MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
1: Listener supported.